Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is connecting the digital dots with my friend Blythe Broomleaf. How's it going, Blythe? It's going great. It's great to be back. I think we were looking and talking before the show notes that it's we haven't talked since 2019. Well, we've talked on the phone, but we right. haven't recorded together since yes, 2019. Yes, since 2000. You were one of my first victims. And I, everybody <laughs> in my first year was a victim of my podcast. And, and I remember having all sorts of technical difficulties, the same... With uh, Kevin Hill was my second guest ever. You're probably in the top 20 or 30. So I remember having technical issues virtually every single episode. I remember you walking me through how to fix it. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, Blythe, I'm looking forward to this conversation with you because you bring a unique insight into this business. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what that is. But when we're talking about connecting the digital dots today, we've been selling online for a long time, but there's so many misconceptions and so many things that we do wrong and it's so integral to the sales process today. You could say before, oh, I, I'm a sales guy and I don't worry about online. You can't say that anymore. And anyway, Blythe is going to help us connect those digital dots. So Blythe, first, introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Sure. So I am calling from Jacksonville, Florida. I was born and raised here in in Jacksonville, and that's where I got my start in logistics about uh, 12 years ago, I believe now, or maybe close to 12 years. I was an executive assistant at a 3PL, and on the same day, I had launched a sports and entertainment blog. And so shortly thereafter, my boss, who I was his assistant to, he found out what I was doing and he said, well, why don't you do that same, you know, build your little websites and, you know, work your social media magic. Why don't you do that for our transportation company? And I said, okay, sure. Why not? So it was a $140 million company that basically right. gave me the keys to all of their digital marketing efforts. And that I was very lucky in that regard because my boss really believed in me. He was a former truck driver that worked his way up to in order to buy the company that he was working at. So he's, I think, saw, and still to this day, we keep a close relationship, but he saw, I think, a lot himself in me. And so he paid, you know, to invest in me and sent me off to all these different social media conferences. I mean, back then it was very, very new. I think Twitter had launched in like 2008 or something like that. So we were the second company ever on HubSpot's or we were the second logistics company ever on HubSpot's platform. So since then, it was, you know, I worked for them for about five years until they unfortunately closed down. And then I kind of had a fork in the road type career decision. You know, do I stay in freight or do I I try some of these other things that I'm really good at, too? And so I, I ended up going to work for a magazine. So I went and worked at a magazine for a couple of years, became their editor in chief. Then I was uh, given an opportunity to work in radio. I'd never gone to broadcasting, so I never went to journalism school. I was just taught on Google. So I started working in sports broadcasting. (laughs) (laughs) It's really like trial by fire for all of these different roles. So got an opportunity to cover the Jaguars at a local radio station here in town. And then about, I would say probably four years into my radio career, it was kind of another moment where it's like, okay, you know, it's sort of a fork in the road again. Like, do I continue staying on the sports path? I knew that I had a ton of other interests and I was still kind of dabbling in the freelance world. Then I moved back into uh, the freight world because I saw a tremendous amount of opportunity, especially from the content creation side of things. With sports, I would be, you know, I, I, I would have to move to another city with more than one pro sports team, which, you know, with the Jaguars here in town, you could argue that, you know, there's not even one pro sports team in town. Uh, don't you start. I'm, I'm in Detroit. We don't even have pro football here. So yeah, you're, you're, you're in the same boat. So that's where it was kind of the, the decision was made for me. I saw a lot of what was going on in the media landscape around, you know, supply chain and logistics. And I thought, you know, I, I could do that too. And, and, you know, really focus in on doing a lot of the things that I had been doing my career for over 10 years, really serving that one person marketing team, because I was the one person marketing team. 
And so that's where Digital Dispatch was born and got, you know, several opportunities, host my own podcast there. Then that evolved into an opportunity to work with FreightWave. So now I host the show Cyberly on their platform. So that's kind of like my, I guess, 10 years of career history. Yeah, so you you have a really interesting background. You mentioned 12 years ago. And again, 12 years ago, if you worked at a logistics and transportation company, not you specifically, Blythe, listeners, if you worked, you probably didn't have a good website. You might have a very old website. If somebody asked you how you went about sales, you'd say, we go about sales by making 100 phone calls a day, and we bring on 10 new people, and eight either quit or get fired, and one or two works out. And that's, that's how you do sales. And it was a, it was, I've heard this from other people, maybe the, the, the laggard industry when it came to using the internet, it was a, it was way behind, um, not only on websites, but in content marketing and everything. So where you came from, and you mentioned being in sports and doing some other, the journalism, what's interesting about those places is there's so much competition. There's writers who will work for free and expect like, hey, I expect nothing. I'm a writer and I love it and I'm going to do this. And there are also people who will be on the radio who will work for free. I that listen was to me. A, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. I listen to a, um, a podcast. These guys used to be on radio, used to be on sports radio, and now they have their own podcast for the Detroit area. There aren't the sports, sports podcast per se, but they talked about how much money used to be in that radio business versus how much is in it now. And they switched. And this, by the way, this was not just any. This was the number one morning show in Detroit for 20 years. When Howard Stern came to town, this show beat them. Only major market to beat back Howard. And they talk about how difficult it is to stay in those industries. And then meanwhile, over here in supply chain, where you eventually logistics and supply chain, where you came there was a wide open space like, hey, Blythe, get over here, broadcast, market, help us. Yeah, I mean, it really, it, it was sort of because I, coming from the sports background, I was able to see the rise and the growth of all of the sports media coverage and then to see a lot of the downfall from a lot of the overspending and the cheapness of how content, oh, yeah. it, it started off as very, you know, in-depth editorials and really well-written, you know, analysis not, you know, a uh, clickbait like we see with today or, you know, who can over, you know, shout over each other more. It was none of that really in the early days of, of sports media on the online space. Now in local radio, that, that could have existed, of course, you know, with, with stations, you know, all around the country. But that was really what drew me into covering freight is that there isn't that, you know, that there isn't a, a lot of media talent, even with the explosion that we've seen over the last couple of years with a lot of creators coming into the scene. I mean, 10 years ago, that was non-existent. I mean, it was it was you were a forward thinking company if you had an Instagram page <laughs> or if you had a web. I, I did some digital marketing with my friends over at Sun Ant Interactive, still still refer people over to them and occasionally do something with them. But when the things they would say when I would bring logistics or logistics or supply chain website over, they'd say, of all the industries, there's no industry that has underspent on websites like this. And by the way, some companies I would work with, $150 million companies with a website that is 10, 15 years out of date. And I would say my website, a blog website has significantly more visits than you do. And they're like, well, how do you have it? I go, because I create content. But yeah. And by the way, um, I did have Craig Fuller on my podcast a few years ago. And one of the things he talked about when this is regards to freight waves, when they, when they started off, they wanted to do this futures market, which they're doing. And he said, well, we realized that there wasn't enough news so you to have a futures market, you need news. And he said the news was on like a, they would write an article, submit it to an existing an existing publication, and he say three weeks later they publish it. He's like, no, no, dudes, that that's not how this got to work. So they created freight waves with the idea that we will create the news. That's by the way, it's not they're not making it up. There is news in this space. It's a massive space with a lot going on, and so. I feel like, you know, we said this before we hit record, 
Freight waves created their own little universe, right? Where the, the rest of us are just orbiting. And I think I've had 10 people. You're probably the, you were on my podcast before you were at Freight Waves, but I've had a lot of people from Freight Waves on my podcast because they have so much good content going on. I think they publish 25, 30 articles a day. I think they have 12, 13, 15 podcasts, depending on the day. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. And it, there's so, and I still feel like with all of that content and has, you know, Freightways has only been around for a handful of years now. And they're still only scratching the surface when we're all still only scratching the surface when it comes to the content that's not just available in, you know, sort of the, the, the trucking space, but, you know, in, in maritime and in, as, you know, we were talking earlier, warehousing and, all of these different components and then all the tech that's entering the yes. scene. So it's just, it feels like I, I, people ask me now because they, I was known for so long as like, Oh, the, you know, the Jaguars reporter, the Jaguars fan. Now they ask me things about the Jaguars and I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I can't <laughs> tell you anything about it because I'm so in depth with logistics news all day, every day that it's tough to keep up with both. So Blythe, I know you live indoors and you, eat every day, I hope. So how do you make a living today? What are you doing? I know you do some stuff with freight waves, but that's like what, what, how many episodes a week do you do? And that's Cyberly, right? Yes. So Cyberly is every Thursday live from 2 to 3 p.m. And so I'm an independent contractor for FreightWave. So I, I produce that show. What do you talk about on Cyberly? So it's uh, B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And so I, I build the attention economy into how we spend our times online. What kind of tech and tools are we using in our day-to-day -day processes and workflows? Um, where is that attention is so ever-changing too, yes, isn't it? It really uh, is. At, at the beginning of this year, I was not worried about getting on TikTok. I was not worried about reels. And now you hear people under 40 are using TikTok. Oh, under 60. I mean, th that's no, the fastest no, growing demographic. No, but using TikTok as a search engine more than they're using Google. They are. And by the way, I've done it myself. So I just bought a new, I bought a new camera, new webcam. And where did I see it? The first time I saw it on reels. Wow. Instagram reels. And then I saved it and then I bought it. And again, I was not at all, that wasn't on my radar. And now, now I'm saying to my team, oh, I guess we got to do Instagram and reels. Like <laughs> I don't want to, but we have to. So it is, so getting back to, so Cyberly covers those trends and we're going to get to this in just a minute. What was there last year and the year before and the year before that sometimes feels like ancient history when we're talking about that attention economy, because it would have been really high tech. 15 years ago to say, you need to get on LinkedIn. Yes. It would have felt really high tech to say, uh, five years ago, you need to get on Facebook or Twitter. And now you're like, oh, those are, those are the old, those, I mean, not, no, don't abandon them, but they're, they're not, they're not necessarily the only game in town. Yes. And so that's where I, I sort of see Cyberly as, my because I I own a company called Digital Dispatch, so it's helping yeah, I wanted to get to that. freight companies build a better website, which I'm sure we'll 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 get into later on. But that's where I kind of use Cyberly as my market research, as my on a not just a content creation standpoint, but also as a distribution standpoint. If I'm working right. on something really interesting, or you know, I have, I have more than 30 websites now within the freight space that I'm able to see data and analytics from a traffic perspective. So I can know like what is resonating with people and what's not resonating with people. Right. And so that helps fuel the future conversations that I have, the people that I target for future interviews. So it's really sort of a, a cohesive environment where I'm using, you know, content marketing in order to broadcast my business, but not in a, you know, a, a, a sales led, you know, super spammy type motion where you're going to get a cold call from me. I just, my main goal is to educate people, empower people, especially the one person marketing team, because that's where I come from. And I'm, I try to make content for those roles within freight, because I know that there are so many logistics companies that are lucky to have one person that's in charge of their marketing. And more than likely, that one person is handling several other roles. So how can you get the most bang for your buck by where you're spending your time online and where you should be promoting your business? So, so that's kind of where I, I try to focus a lot of my efforts. Yep. And so Cyberly, 
that's where you do that you do something with uh, freight waves and then you do do you have a, your another podcast that you do just for digital dispatch yes so a le- hard lesson learned when you start a company do not name a podcast the same thing <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's what where I, did. I messed that's up. what I did that's what I did <laughs> well that's where I, I messed up big time because if I ever wanted to add a podcast to this I would have to change the name of this podcast to yeah uh, or you just add on you know another LLC or you know an S corp or something so it'd be the, the logistics of logistics this would be Joe Joe the blabbermouth and then the second <laughs> one would be ever whatever it is but yeah that that's that's where I the digital dispatch brand start because I, I went off on my own started my own agency about four years ago. And when you first start your own, you know, marketing web agency, you're really worried about, you know, where that first check is going to come from. I I started my company with four grand in, in my bank account, not knowing where my next check was going to come from. So I, I had maybe a month and a half, two months of runway in order to work with. So I, I just got, you know, whoever was going to work with me, I got a home builder, I got a construction company, I got a couple logistics companies. So that's it. That's where I started getting, you know, that first sort of revenue. And then after that, it was really, you know, making that conscious decision over the course of the years that I've been in business. Okay, well, how do we niche down more and more? And it sounds silly to say that, you know, logistics and is a is a niche, but you know, for the it's a huge niche. It is. (laughs) (laughs) But there's so many niches within this niche that it, it, you know, I feel like it's a good one to pick. And you probably agree. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because everyone's doing what, like, I remember when I was doing, I did some digital marketing. I also did a lot of like sales training, but I wouldn't call it necessarily sales training. It was more related to sales and marketing integration training and a lot of content marketing. But one of the things people would say, you know, Joe, you could go much, you could go bigger. You could go all B2B. I go, as if logistics isn't massive enough. As soon as I have like 10% of that market, maybe I'll expand right. out. <laughs> You can always so, go bigger. It's it's tough yeah. to niche down. And that's where I think for a lot of business folks, I, you almost have to learn that the hard way. Right. You have to get the most important thing of running a business is getting the checks through the door, but you can refine it as you go. I, I had a guy who I was working with. I did some stuff for him and I sent him your way, Mike. And you did a fantastic job. Oh, I, shout I, out I, to Mike Customodal. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I every once in a while go and check. I go, oh my God, she's killing it. And uh, we were not a good fit for Mike. And again, great guy. And I'm glad I sent him your way. But it is not always easy to get the average transportation, logistics, warehousing company to actually look like anything other than the just another one, right? Just another one. And it takes a creative flair that you have that you bring to that. And so it's not something that anybody can do because so often when you talk, and I'm sure you've been down this road many times when you say, well, what kind of freight do you guys move? We move anything. We know drive in, <laughs> cold chain, drayage. We do everything for everyone. And you're like, mm-hmm. And, and when you have that mindset, your website is just becomes this Oatmeal. I mean, it's just really hard to have an edge or a point of view or a niche. So much easier if I can call and say, hi, the reason I'm calling you is because I do automotive freight. We work with 16 suppliers to the Japanese and 20 suppliers to the, uh, uh, the U.S. companies. And I think I understand the kind of problems you're dealing with. So much better than saying, hi, Mr. Automotive Supplier. Uh, I want to move your freight. <laughs> yes. And that's, I mean, th- that's proven in, in study after study that people don't want to have a generalized message sent their okay. way. And that's, I think, one of the bigger parts of the evolution of, of marketing over the last 10 years and that, you know, a lot of these freight companies maybe learned something about inbound marketing 10 years ago. But the landscape has changed dramatically since then. And you have to be able to to articulate who you serve and why you serve them and how you understand and anticipate their problems before they actually happen. And can you communicate that through social media and then point those people back to your site when they are ready to buy and then be able to communicate that message again? Because I I just had a a freight broker um, or a freight agent who reached out and we built him a site and he was going through sort of the same thing because he didn't want to be specific because he didn't want to rule any business out. But I said, this is what you're selling, though. This is your this is your key to standing out. And ultimately, yeah, the he did. The problem listen. is when you get that mindset of, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't do any cold chain. But what if somebody called and said that they have cold chain business? 
Well, as soon as they talk to you and then rule you out because you don't do any right now, but you want to and you're open to it. <laughs> exactly. And that... By the way, that used to work pre-internet. I, by the way, I was alive when there was no internet. And you could knock on a door and say, hi, I sell logistic services. And they go, cool, do you guys do cold chain? I could say yes. Why? Because you couldn't check my website right. to say, no, you don't. <laughs> and then I go back and say, hey, we're going to update uh, our printed materials to say we do cold chain. Anyway, Blythe, let's switch gears for a minute. So we talked in the beginning here about when you, you started about 12 years ago, when the world was logistics, transportation, sales, we're really all about phone calls. You just make 100 phone calls a day, hire people who make 100 phone calls a day. You live and die by the phone and it doesn't work as well anymore. And one of the reasons it doesn't work as well anymore is we all know that the buying process begins online. And the way we know that is if I'm going on a trip to a winery out in California, I don't call them. I don't look, for, I don't go to the yellow pages and call them and say, please tell me about your winery. I go online and I look them up. I go, I might see, I might go to their LinkedIn page, see how many, oh, they got one employee. That is not the winery I want to go to, right? I might go to their website and see, oh my God, this is beautiful. This is a place I want to go to. We do that when we're going on a trip, kids' college, new car, new house, travel. Everything we do, we know as consumers where it begins. It begins online. And so that's how people are buying now. And so when they're looking for that new warehousing company that they're going to get after this contract runs out or the new freight broker, because I hate my current one, they start online. So talk a little bit about this, I'll call it the, the, the buying process and how it begins online now. And it never did before. So uh, the, the way I sort of think about this is the 95 to 5 rule. So 95% of people are typically not in a buying cycle. Looking around, kicking the tires. Exactly. <laughs> and so what you want to think about is when you're putting your messaging out on social media, the overwhelming majority of people are not going to like it. They're not going to comment. They're not going to share. They're not going to save it. They're going to see it. And you hope that they digest that message. That should be the goal. Any social media post, it shouldn't be, you know, 10 years ago it was, or even five years ago, some companies still today are doing this and they shouldn't be, but it's, you know, hey, here's one thing you're going to learn from our ebook, go to this website and download it. And then we're going to cold call you. We're going to send you 10 emails within our funnel. We're going to put this email. We're going to take all these quote unquote leads. We're going to hand them off to the sales team. And the marketing's job is done. That's not how marketing is done right. anymore. It doesn't work. It arguably worked well back then, but not anymore because of those people who are just scrolling through social media, not right. interacting but they're still looking and they're still digesting that message. So the 95 to 5 rule comes into play when you think about the marketing messages and the problems that you solve, putting those messages out on social media on a consistent basis, making sure that your website conveys those similar messages that you're promoting out there. So when that 95%, when they become the 5% and they're actively ready to buy, they come to you, they don't go to Google, they don't go to, you know, your competitor. Right. They don't go to a, you know, a G2 and do a, you know, a search there for, you know, a technology solution. They come to you because they they know, like, and trust you. So that's where the a lot of people get wrong about marketing is that you need to be marketing to the 95%. And then when the 5% is ready to buy, that's when you can seize the opportunity. Yeah. And so I, it's, I never heard that 95.5. So 95% are just educating themselves. So so for instance, let's just say somebody's listening to this podcast. And by the way, you should all be listening all the time. <laughs> if you're not listening to my podcast, you should listen to Blythe's when you get time. <laughs> they listen to you on my podcast and they go, oh, I, I like her and she does websites. She does some marketing. I like her point of view. They go online, they check out Digital Dispatch. They go, I'm going to check her out on Cyberly. They start listening to some of your stuff and they might say, I don't want to spend that money till January 1 when I get a brand new budget. But, and I don't even want to call her because she's going to, maybe she wants to sell me. I'm not even going to let her sell me. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep an eye on her over the next six months. And maybe they're looking at some other companies and seeing what's the trends out in the website business. So, so they might be 
in your, so to speak, in your funnel, but in a lot of ways, they're not in your funnel. And I think what we call that now is the dark funnel. And it's where people are checking you out on podcasts, looking at your social media. They might be connected to you on LinkedIn. They're interested, but they aren't interested in the conversation yet. They are the, they're in that 95. Yes. And that's where, you know, you, you mentioned dark funnel. I've heard it also referred to, you know, as dark social. But it's basically when you think about the concept of dark social is you see something online, you take a screenshot, you share it in a Slack channel, you send it in a group text, you maybe save it for yourself to, to read later on. But that is what dark social technically is. You're digesting content without ever interacting with that person, without ever filling out, you know, a book, a demo form, a request for quote. You are just digesting that information. And so that's where dark social comes to mind because it also correlates to the way we all, the way we measure marketing right now. And the way that we measure marketing is also outdated where we look at you know, attribution reports are, you know, sort of, I don't want to say the bane of my existence, but they have been (laughs) in the past because you have folks that are so tied to, I'm going to create this blog post. I want to know in 30 days how many leads it generated for us. And then how many of those leads became a customer that doesn't exist. (laughs) I told, I told you before we hit record, I did a webinar with somebody and they said, okay, 50 people signed up. How many of these do you think will become customers this month? And I go, none. And they're like, what do you mean? Well, why are we doing it? I was like, well, first off, we're going to get their email so we can connect with them. If 50 signed up, I can almost assure you that no more than five are really good prospects. We'll connect with them on LinkedIn. Maybe we get, we already have their email. Uh, We can follow up with them. But the idea that somebody who signed up to educate themselves on this topic all of a sudden it's going to be pressured to buy is bizarre. And, you know, you kind of brought us to this next topic. Sales isn't the same as other functions. It's not the same as your production. It's not the same as production. It's not the same as finance. So we're managing, in effect, a relationship, one to many, and then ideally one to one at some point. And when you start to say, I'm going to have this many inputs, and then it goes in the black box. And then uh, here's my output. And so I can start saying to Blythe, well, we did two webinars. And then you're going to hit them with emails. How how long until we're working with them? And you're like, that's not the way it works. And you really have to think about the, how you buy. Does When was the last time, ask yourself, that you joined a webinar and then immediately bought from that? It probably very small amount. I mean, if you're anything like me, you're using a fake email address in order to even register for the webinar. Oh, no. So that nobody Why? responds back to you. Say it isn't so. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I may or may not have done that several times just because – where buyers are more aware now of what that process is. They know they're going to be sold to. They know they're going to get a cold call. So why not just put the information of what they're seeking, put it in the channels that they're already hanging out, put it with the goal of having that message either be read, watched, or heard. And then when that person is ready to buy, they come to your site, they convert as a high intent lead. And then when that high intent lead goes to your sales team, then ideally you do not have, you know, sort of a junior level or entry level salesperson taking that call because likely that person is already a high intent lead. They're ready to convert. They don't want to go through the pre-qualifying process because you've already done that with your marketing. You've already done that with your messaging. So why would you put somebody entry level to answer somebody who's an executive? And so, or mid, you know, mid man, mid management, you know, somebody in a leadership position. Right. So you need to be thinking about how to redefine your entire sales process. How is your sales team going to create their own personal brands on social media? What kind of messaging are they going to be talking about? Is that messaging similar to the messaging that we have on our websites? Is that messaging you know, also being repeated on the demo calls or the sales calls that you're booking? And then you need that's how the whole sales game has evolved, where you can really focus on putting that message out with the goal of having it read in the channel that they're already hanging out. Because these social media channels, they don't want people to leave once they're on their platform. They want people to stay. So if you are sending traffic away from their platform, they're not going to show your content within the feed anyways. So get your message out there with the goal of having it digested first, 
and build that content snowball over time. That's where a lot of people are missing the mark. And and I think, you know, we talked before we hit hit the record button today about you mentioned the over-reliance on technology. And I'll give you a perfect example. We've all lived this, but I want to talk about some of the technologies that we use, but we love LinkedIn, right? So we're all on LinkedIn. How many times do I get an email from somebody selling some? So I'm the logistics of logistics, but I'm a podcaster. I don't do, I don't move freight, but it's amazing how many people just go, logistics guy, I'm sending in this. But then they don't say, connect with me. And then maybe they're they're seeing what conversations I'm having online and maybe they join in those or nope, immediately they, they connect with me. And then in the same breath, they send me an unsolicited sales pitch. Yes. And and by the way, I've gotten to the point where I I disconnect from them right away because I think you're not somebody I want to be connected to. And you, you didn't look to see what I do. You didn't have time because you were so busy sending the same message to hundreds of people. I can guarantee it. And you know, another thing I see this, and maybe it's just a scam thing, but how many times I think there was dozens of, I think they're scam accounts that they just, they, they did this on LinkedIn where they had all these, these scam accounts where they hit you with the same message, similar, similar looking Asian woman. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting all of these. And they look like they could be all sisters. And you're like, how is this ever going to result in us doing business? Is this the way you want to start this relationship? Well, I think for a lot of these people, they they think about their marketing as what is the easiest for me instead of the ultimate goal of how do I make sure that my message is actually resonating with people? And you only get that if you're the one that is making the content and interacting with your followers on social media. Because for a lot of companies, they make the big mistake of outsourcing their content, all of their content to somebody else to create, which I think is just crazy. You have to do the hard work. I think if I was to say, if I was to call Blythe and say, Blythe, I really need help creating content. Will you create it with me? You would say, Joe, I will, but... I need your point of view. You're going to have to spend time and you're going to, you can't just say, I'm a, I'm a great truckload carrier. You could write that down. Great truck. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. This we're rolling now. So you, so you pick up freight, you move it. Oh my God. That's fantastic. I, I can't wait to write a hundred articles about that. Yeah. Super snooze fest. <laughs> yeah. But I think, and again, sales isn't production. It's, it's a relationship. And I joked about it for you before we started this is, if you wanted to manage the relationship with a significant other and then you wrote down a little checklist of what you're going to do when you get home and you're like, first I say this, then I say this, then I do this. And they're going to be absolutely delighted with the way how well our relationship's going unless they see the list. Right. <laughs> and then they go, you ass, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And that's somewhat what we're trying to do with the relationship that we're trying to build in sales. We think... I'm going to ping Blythe with this. She signed up for my webinar, ping her with email, ping her with email, phone call, more email, more email. And then at some point you go, I'm out. Yeah. Unsubscribe. You just block them and move on. <laughs> I I wanted I wanted to have you on my radar, but you won't allow that. I have to buy right now or you're going to hassle me. And again, you might have bought, they might have bought from you at the first of the year when they got new budget, but instead you were a pest. And you, they and you showed your true colors, and they don't want to play anymore. And that's I think that that's sort of the our over reliance on technology, especially in the marketing sphere, is just it's astronomical how much budget is is being wasted at the highest level of you know some of the top you know carriers, three PLs, and and freight tech. They're spending thousands and thousands of dollars every single month on software that they don't need, which I think is. You know, it's it's an eye-opening opportunity, I think, for a lot of SMBs out here, small bit, small to medium-sized businesses, where or even really for a lot of these large companies that you do not need to throw all of this budget and marketing or all of this budget into outdated marketing strategies and outdated marketing tools that are designed to measure those outdated strategies. You want a perfect beginning and end to a relationship with a customer, but what it looks like is a lot of detours along right. the way. And you just better hope 
that they don't find another solution on the way or along the way. But if you're creating regular content that's helpful, that's insightful, that you know highlights a problem that may, they may not know that they will have in the future, you're developing that trust early on before they ever interact with your brand. And so that's where I think a lot of the confusion comes from is from thinking that software is going to solve all of your problems. You know, you get the shiny new HubSpot the account. silver bullet. <laughs> HubSpot's not going to work if you don't create content right. for it. it. Yeah, and that's you, you brought up HubSpot, and it's a perfect example. It's a great tool in the hand, but they'll, they'll be the first one to say, look, it can be used wrong. And like, if you don't, if you don't follow their process and you've got to create great content, you're going to find yourself saying, well, HubSpot's really not worth it. And by the way, same with my CRM. You said to me uh, earlier, the best CRM is the one that you and your team will actually use yes. as opposed <laughs> to um, the, the one that I found online. And I think also, um, you mentioned creating great content. The reason you're on my podcast is because you've been on my podcast before we've talked you are an expert in this and you are an interesting person to talk to and you bring a unique point of view to this. Now, if you were just a salesperson and you said, I work for Digital Dispatch and I'm going to sell and I say, hey, Blythe, come on my podcast. You say, cool, I am going to sell the entire time. I'm going to talk about Digital Dispatch. I'm going to talk about that constantly. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 hold up. Pause. <laughs> I, I want to talk to the other, I want to talk to the cool Blythe who is going to actually share good content. People are looking for experts. And, and by the way, you mentioned earlier, no like and trust. I always say, I want people on my podcast. One of the advantages of podcasts is your personality can come through. So people can go, I like her. I, I think I know her in some way. I trust her. I relate to her. That's that. So it's a great medium for that. And by the way, people buy and we all buy for very irrational reasons. And if you don't believe me, next time you're at the store buying virtually anything, ask yourself why you're buying that peanut butter. Ask yourself why you're buying the. And, and by the way, I find myself saying, oh, I'm, I'll just buy the generic this because it doesn't matter. And then the next product, oh, I always get the GIF because GIF is better. Why? I don't know. My mom said so in 1968. <laughs> and we buy all of the decisions in the grocery store. Watch yourself. You make nothing but irrational decisions. We buy from people we know, like, and trust. They can have the greatest product in the world if you don't like them, if you don't trust them. If you don't get a sense that we can work well together, you're not going to work with them. That's to, to further that point of what you're saying, the value of your podcast is something that you can't really measure right now. You can measure it. That's through. what I tell my sponsors. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's with, with a lot of, you know, those style of conversations, because for a lot of companies right now, they're thinking about, well, how do I start a podcast? And then they do a podcast for two months and they stop it because they don't By have the way, any the, needs. The, the average podcast what, how many, I suspect you already know this. How, what's the average podcast? How many episodes? Uh, I think it's less than 10 before yes, they- that's what I was going to say. I, I was going to say nine. I'm pretty sure it's less than 10 that they quit afterwards. And it's By the way, crazy. celebrities, every celebrity in the world has started a podcast. And, and they stink at it. <laughs> yes. And by the way, if you think podcasts, I, I've always tell people, I, when somebody asks how to do podcasts, I always feel like, why are you asking me? I don't know. But <laughs> if you were to do it, some people kind of get this idea that, oh, you know, me and my friends are real funny. We just drinking beer and laughing and it'll be fun. And I was like, check out the very best comedians on earth. Their podcast, they can't be funny every episode. It's really hard. So I always say that, so they got a bar that's too high, but also if you're having a podcast where you think you can sell the entire time, I've said this on my podcast many times. If you're monotone, people don't want to listen. If you lecture, people don't want to listen as I lecture. And if you use too much technology talk that you don't explain, people won't listen. And if you sell, people won't listen. And it's funny, it's for Americans, and I suspect many other Western people, Selling is like nails on a chalkboard. Yes, we hate <laughs> like, being sold to. Right. We just want to. I mean, uh, the thing I, the number one tip I try to give people whenever they think about starting a podcast is pretend you're having a conversation, a normal conversation, and there just happened to be a microphone there. Now it's of course much more nuanced than that, and I think you know for for a lot of 
folks within this space, you know, content has exploded since COVID. I mean, we, it, you took away our conferences and we had to figure out another way to network with people. So everybody and their mother started up a podcast in the space. And some of those podcasts are still around. Some of them podcasts are, are you know, gone away or maybe they're on hiatus. But for a lot of those folks, they really had to learn by trial and error. And that's really the story for a lot of folks, a lot of creators in this space is that you're not going to be good at this right away. And that's okay. But you don't want you do want to go into it with some kind of understanding that you are having a conversation for folks that you might have a conversation with six months from now, maybe two years from now, you know, a lot of the people that I I talked with on a podcast two years ago, you know, I'm finally starting to meet them in person at in person conferences. Could I measure the ROI of that? Absolutely not. I mean, it's just, it's it's relationship building. It's a digital handshake. And if you don't approach podcasting in that manner, if you don't approach social media in that manner of how you're going to share your expertise and insight without feeling like a lecture, without feeling like a sales pitch, then you probably need to spend some time, you know, refining that message. And you really, I mean, to be honest, you can really only refine it by getting more reps in and learning what people like. I think there's another piece to it, which is if you don't have anything interesting to say. So there's a lot. And by the way, over the road trucking is there's just a need for a lot of it. Brokerage, the need for a lot of it. If you don't have a specialty, the problem is you go online and you go, yeah, hey, you know what? We're going to talk to shippers um, who move freight with us. And we're going to talk to freight brokers who move freight. And at some point, if you don't have Let's just say you worked in food and you say, you know, we're going to talk about the Food Safety Modernization Act. We're going to talk about some some issues. Some of that gets can be interesting because you're actually adding value. And somebody says, I'm educating myself on my job. And these guys who I listen to are flat out experts. That's different. And that's the podcast that we want to listen to. 100%. Because it, I mean, it, especially to go back to tying it to to revenue, I think that that's one of the, another huge mistake that a lot of companies make is that. So say you're you're doing this podcast and a sponsor wants to know, well, how many leads are you going to send me? And it's like, well, you can't really answer that question. And I everybody wants the answer to it, but you can't because whenever you're you're tying in, you know, say like the HubSpot attribution report. So say I hear about the logistics of logistics podcast, I what do I do? I I go to Google, I do a search for it, and I arrive on your site and I book a meeting with you. Attribution software or marketing reports would tell you that organic search, Google search, sent that lead to you. When in reality, it was all of the podcasts that you had been creating, those relationships that you have been building. And so what happens where a lot of companies is that they'll see a report like that. And they'll cut off the thing that was actually working and instead of dump a bunch of money into something that's an outdated strategy that is just, you know, it's a, Google is a mechanism for getting to your website. It is not the mechanism for how they found out about your website. Right. Exactly. So Blythe, I'm going to summarize some of this Then I want to get how we actually should be doing this. So we're talking with Blythe, my friend Blythe Broomleaf, about connecting the digital dots. So we we all know the buying process begins online. So we don't control the buying process. All we can do is kind of support those buyers as they go through their paces. So you mentioned the 95-5 rule. 95% of the people are just kind of educating themselves. They they think they might need a new 3PL. They think they might need a new warehouse in Los Angeles. So they're just kind of kicking the tires. They're checking out your content, but they don't necessarily want to buy. Only 5% actually want to buy at that time. And then we talked about this this idea of sales isn't production. It's not something that I can just say, I did this and I did that, therefore the sale happens. And we don't manage our regular offline relationships with a checklist or a process. We say, oh, I spend time with my kids and we we're playing catch or went to a ball game or watching TV together. I don't necessarily measure and say, my kid is going to turn out fine because I spent this many hours per year. 2.5 with them, hours right? with him every day. And <laughs> we don't do that to our spouse or our girlfriend's boyfriend. It's it's a, it would be ridiculous if you were. If you had a, a list of how I'm going to manage my relationship, people would think you're nuts. And so 
and again, I think some of the technology that we had access to kind of gave us the impression that I can manage this. This is a super highway to a sale. It's just, it isn't. So, and, and again, the technology is great if you use it the right way, but so often it perverts the process. It gives you the sense that I can ping, 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 sell, ping, 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 sell. If it was only and, so easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, and, and it's funny. It's just that whole, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. We brought it from the phones to the, to the marketing world. I couldn't tell you how many times I sat in because uh, my the way my desk was situated when I was an executive assistant was right next to the broker floor, but it was in shouting distance of my boss. So anytime he needed something done, he would just yell down the hallway and I would hear him. But it was also I could hear all of the brokers just pounding the phones every day, slamming the phone down, angry, pissed off. And I just, you know, trying to gather up I'm, those I'm building guys. relationships with customers. <laughs> but also trying to get them to use a CRM, to understand the concept of inbound marketing, to understand the concept of building a personal brand on LinkedIn. Some of these companies just haven't done that right. and they still go by the old school way of we're going to hire a 22-year-old out of college, we're going to sit him at a desk and he's going to make 100 cold calls a day until he finds some success. I just don't believe in that in that mindset. I didn't believe it ten years ago, and I don't believe it today. Right. So take us through. So again, we're talking about uh, connecting the digital dots. Give us take us through the right way to do this, and as as we kind of wrap this bad boy up. Sure. So I I think of connecting the dots from a, a marketing operations perspective. So for marketing operations, it's what does your current digital landscape look like? Are you on social media? Are you promoting or creating content on social media as a company? Are your employees doing it? So you're really taking an audit of what that process looks like from a marketing standpoint, and then how sales operates within that process. And so for sales, for example, you know, who's going to be if somebody fills out a form on our website, an RFQ form, who's going to be the person that's going to reach out to them? How soon are they going to reach out to them? You know, are there any gaps within that process? I, I always tell people, make sure you secret shop your own website because there's so many. Oh yeah, it, I, it, I am guilty. You've mentioned things that I'm guilty of already. Life, I got to go. <laughs> well, so so to combat that, I like to, to tell people to take inventory of what your current process looks like. Because what you need to refocus on is first, you need to fine tune your website. What is your messaging? Who are you targeting? And then from that messaging, how can somebody reach out to you? One of the bigger missing pieces from all logistics websites that I have studied is the lack of being able to book a meeting instantly on someone's site. I believe that this is the biggest gap that if somebody just creates a simple landing page on your site, you can book a meeting right there with someone. We all have these tools available at our fingertips. And it, I think it's the biggest missing gap. Yeah. So you can take something like a Calendly and yes. that gives you, it'll give you the code to embed it in your website. It, it doesn't take but five minutes. 100%. Because then you're putting the power in the buyer's hands. If the buyer is ready to talk to someone, why would you delay that conversation? So, and by the way, we said this before uh, we recorded. Sometimes people will reach out and say, Blythe, I really want to talk to you about a new website. And then you respond to that email. Yeah, give me a call. Yes. And then, and then they don't call. And then you're like, oh my God, in the, in the 15 minutes, a new shiny object popped up. You could have already gone. had that call with them if you would have just had it on your site. If they scheduled it, they go, "Oh, I scheduled it, so now I got to talk to Blythe." Yes, <laughs> but you're setting up your 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 the the concept around this is that you're you're building that you're building the chain to conversion on your site first. And so once you have that that contact method established of who's going to be answering these calls, if they're a high intent lead, who you better not have an entry level salesperson answering that call. You want to have somebody that's a little bit more seasoned, that knows the problems that that customer is specifically calling about. So once you have that process ironed out, that's when I tell people to start building on rented land. So you have your owned land. You only own three places on the internet, and that's your website, your email list, and your podcast. Everything else is rented land. So you build on your, your, your owned land first. And then you go to the rented land, which is the social media. And so you yeah, go to LinkedIn social media. Yeah, because LinkedIn can take it all away. They're not going to, chances are. 
But uh, they could. Your account can be shut off in a day. It, it happens to users all the time on all different social media platforms. Right. You build up thousands of followers. And then for whatever reason, they decide to shut your account down. You can't reach customer service. And then, you know, what? Are, where are you at? You have no communication with your audience. There was a famous kind of meltdown. Some young woman was on Instagram. Apparently, she posted something inappropriate and they booted her. And she had like hundreds of thousands, millions of followers. And she was crying offline and it was recorded. And she says, I can't do anything. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I've never worked anywhere. I've never done anything. I'm going to be homeless. And basically, she, basically it, was, it was kind of comical and sad at the same time that her whole livelihood yes. was selling on Instagram, probably based on her looks, right? Which is fine, whatever she's doing. But then she violated their codes and boom, to gone. your point, gone. Yep. And that can happen. And by the way, I've I'm on some social media where I've seen people lose their account, and and YouTube right now, uh, that can happen. For I follow people on YouTube, they're afraid to say a whole bunch of words oh, that yeah. aren't that that aren't swear words. But yeah, if you COVID, say them, COVID related specifically, you know right. that that was one of the bigger things that a lot of well, creators yeah. were very hesitant to talk about. There was one, it was about Europe, and I was just watching, and she says, funny po podcast or YouTube, and she said, I would say the N-word uh, related to what happened in Germany back in the 40s, but that gets me demonetized. I'm like, oh it's my all goodness. software. And that's the thing, like it, it, content distribution or, or content moderation, I, I've done a, a, a deep dive into this, and it really is just a, a fascinating topic. Automated. Well, it's automated. It's a combination of two. So what you have is you have foreign entities who have, you know, operations all around within, really within the entire globe, you have all of these institutions. And so these institutions are hired and you have a combination of bots and real people. These real people get a list of talking points for the day that they're going to argue. And so what they would do as they will go to some of the top American, you know, uh, social media news sites, they'll go to their posts and they will put the talking point for the day. And then they will have their bot accounts like and engage with that comment. So then it gives it artificial <laughs> boosts and the algorithm. So they've gamified the algorithm by both using a real person and bots. It's really fascinating. I, I've sort of done, you know, a, a, a deep dive into this with Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter and his complaints oh my about God, the Twitter yeah. bot problem. And it really is fascinating. I, I hope he does have to buy Twitter and fix the bot problem. Yes. And by the way, I can tell you this. This was many years ago. I was on Fiverr and it said, get 10,000 viewers, followers on Twitter. And I was like, yeah, that works. I, I, I can do that. And um, it was like five bucks. So I did it. And then, um, then I was looking at my new followers and I was like, I, sure enough, I got like 10,000 followers for five bucks. And then I'm looking, I'm like, oh, this is a housewife. Why is she following the logistics of logistics? I'm like, okay. Whatever. All fake accounts. And, and, and then I went back and I was like, I don't need. And one of my daughters said, Dad, those are probably fake. I, so I went back on yes. I went back on Fiverr and it said, real looking followers. <laughs> it said that was the term they real looking followers. And the, and by the way, my followers did look real. <laughs> they looked as real as my real followers. Except the, in the engagement of your posts because that's exactly. where I, that's where I can tell, especially with a lot of YouTube videos, um because I, I like to compare how my you how my you know, I always like to compare my videos to you probably shouldn't, but I do. But I was looking at, you know, a couple of different videos that had thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of views. And then you look at the video and there's no comments. Yeah, there's no by the likes. way, that's the same with Twitter. I heard somebody talk about this is a lot of people, influencers have millions of followers and millions of fake followers. And they said, you can tell because when they, when they say, Hey, you should buy this, this tummy tea for, uh, <laughs> and, and make sure you check slash Joe in the box that only five people commented. Well, millions of people, only five commented or liked. And so it tells you the engagement is so low that there's most likely a whole bunch of fakes. But anyway, we're getting off track, of course, Blake. God <laughs> darn it. Well, we, we, that, that, I love that part of the conversation because that is, that's other, that's people looking for the easy way out. What's yes. easy for me, not what makes life easier for my customers. And so that's why I, I really try to ring home 
focus on your owned properties, and then build on the rented land. Because if you focus too much on social media, then you have risk of, you know, maybe losing your accounts being spread too thin. So that that's my really, you know, sort of to bring it home with with that final note, you know, really focus on that owned property first, and then use one or two max social media accounts in order to build authentically on those channels. Because if it's any more than two, it's too much. Yeah, authentic is the is the key. And I think also, Blythe, when we talk about this we we're blabbing offline before we hit record is we 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 tend to want that we, we we're kind of in a hack mentality people love to say how i got 100,000 instagram followers in one month you didn't get them authentically you didn't get them the right way you didn't build those relationships over time you were and again there's people love the idea of i hacked it and i think the boss loves the idea of i did it that fast i blythe got me a million followers. Well, and you said something uh, a few times before we hit record, which is this is patience and consistency. It doesn't happen fast. You don't build relationships fast. You build them over time. You build them and over time you have this big following. And then at some point, those 95 become the five and you sell them. And I, I joke about it, but it's it's just like you you we were talking about going to the gym. And I said, I had a salad at lunch and then I went to the gym and I worked out and I came home, lifted up my shirts because I wanted to see my abs. And they weren't they're not there yet. So I imagine it'll take a whole nother day of me going to the gym and having a salad, and then I'll have abs. I can guarantee it. <laughs> And that's the mentality we bring to sales and marketing is that I want it right now. I want the abs. I want the I want the sales. But it, it's that you have to really love the process because that's where you're going to get the most insights from, especially on social media. Think of social media as your almost a, 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 an opportunity to give a keynote in front of your target audience every single day. What are you going to talk about? And then who's going, what are the comments that you get? What are the questions that you get? What are the DMs that you get? And using those interactions that you only get from being authentic, using those interactions to fine tune your message as you, as you move along. Because a lot of people think that, oh, I'm going to start a social media strategy and it's, oh, let me, you know, create a graphic for, you know, happy July 4th and that's going to move the needle oh somehow. God. Doesn't work. You have to be genuine. You have to be in the trenches and you have to be sharing. Don't be afraid to share your insight. It is truly the only thing that differentiates you. We all want to hear an authentic point of view. What you shared today, and why I love having you on my podcast, is you have a point of view. You have real insights that you've honed. You don't talk about stuff you don't know about. You you bring you talk about the stuff that you do know about. And again, I think there's so much of this hack mentality that we bring. And I or hey, I, and then the HubSpot's a great tool. But I got HubSpot now. We're now we're cooking with cooking with gas. We're going to be just fine yes. now. It's these aren't these silver bullets don't work in this business. Anyway, Blythe, we've gone way over time as usual, but I want to talk before you go. We are both going to a conference in January. So talk a little bit about our beloved Manifest. Oh my gosh. And by the way, the way I learned about Manifest was I do the podcast three times a week and I always ask people what conferences you're going to. And all of a sudden, all these people said, manifest, manifest, manifest. And I was like, what the hell? I don't know what they're talking about. And then one day, I'm on LinkedIn and I had a picture of you playing with puppies. And I was like, what? And then she's like, you got to get to manifest. I was like, oh. And then I, I reached out to manifest and said, come on my podcast because I saw my friend Blythe playing with puppies at your conference. <laughs> yes, because exactly. I mean, honestly, that was one of the bigger reasons that I was like, I have to go to this conference because I think for our a long time, and especially during COVID was no help to this, is that we were used to the typical industry-related trade shows and events. And I, I, I'll i give kudos to, to FreightWaves, of course, because obviously you know, I work the for them. They raised the bar for events. And then as you start looking around the landscape, and especially as you know, uh, state starts opening up, you start thinking about, okay, you're just itching to get back out into the world and you want to go to these conferences. Well, which ones are you going to go to and why? And Manifest to me did a really brilliant way of marketing their conference because not only did they provide that education and insight ahead of time, 
what oh, yeah. they did is they also interviewed Pam Simon, who um, she's, I believe, the she's pre- been on my podcast. Yeah, she, she's fantastic, and so I'll, she, I'll put I'll put my interview with her and my interview with Courtney in the show notes. And and they have been above and beyond with getting interviews before the actual conference takes place. Right. So they're educating their audience with arguably a lot of the same information that you would learn while at the conference, but you're giving that little preview, that little snippet of the conversations that you can have in person. And then the second thing that they did that I really loved is that they brought in conversational pieces that you can have those shared experiences. You can go to a little, they have a full expo floor, the the best expo floor I've ever seen. And they had a, a full autonomous truck row. So you can go. I saw that. Amazing technology. You get the light. I did go. Mirrors. I saw the pictures, I should say. Um, and you get to see like some of these other different style trucks that don't even really look like a truck. So they're re, you know, if you don't need a driver, you know, with autonomous, some of these autonomous vehicles, why do you need a driver's seat? So they're reimagining, you know, a lot of these different technologies and putting that all in one place. So they had the autonomous, you know, row. And then they had these drones and warehouse robotics. And these are things that, you know, you read about, you see videos about, but to see them in action in person was the most fun and fascinating part to me. And then you add on the additional sort of fun shared experiences like a puppy lounge where, you know, especially with the the conference back in January, which was their, their first one, that was my first conference. Well, it was my first conference back in like six months. The state of Florida opened up, you know, <laughs> arguably never closed down. So I had gone to a couple conferences, but they were, you know, sort of... COVID doesn't like the heat, apparently. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so with Manifest, you know, you are really talking to people back to back to back. And sometimes that can get, you know, a little exhausting. So the puppy lounge that they had, you could literally go open up the gate, sit down and have a couple treats and have puppies crawl all over you. I would also say it's not a bad way to start a conversation. Like you're very yes. extroverted. You have no problem. People want to talk to you. They know you. But if you're like, hey, I'm not the uh, – I'm more of an introverted type bonding over a puppy. Yes. <laughs> that's not a bad way to go. And really just taking a break from the peopling. That was, that was I think, right. the biggest part or the biggest benefit to me. I probably visited that puppy lounge a half a dozen times over the course of two days where I'm just sitting on the floor just hanging out with puppies. Also, you guys had Ludacris there. Yes. Another part of, you know, shared experiences where you typically would not I forgot see- who's I forgot who's coming to this next one, but I, I what I'll do is I'll share in the show notes- I wonder if they've announced that yet. I would be really curious to hear because I'm sure it's going to be another amazing act. It's going to be back in Vegas at Caesars Forum. So I'm thorough. I know the Puppy Lounge is going to be back too. Right. But then they have have to now. Right. Better my podcast. And I, I, they had other cool things like a Bloody Mary and Donut Bar. They also had a robot that is like a robot beer so a robot arm that serves opens up the bottle of beer for you, pours it, and hands it to you. It's all robotic. So it's just. It was a really cool, you know, the shared experiences also with logistics tech. I can't, you know, sing the praises of of that conference enough. They're not, you know, paying me to say any of this. I just genuinely had a fantastic time and it's now my must attend list. Yes. So I, I will see you there because you are doing interviews there. Yes. And so am I. So we will be interviewing people live at Manifest this Heck year, yeah. and, which would be very cool. So actually, I, Blythe, I've never met you in person. So I, I've, I've talked to you many times on the phone, done the interviews. So it'll be nice to meet you in person. 100%. Nice to meet everybody met in person because I have not been traveling. I travel for play, but not very much for conferences because I do so many podcast interviews. But yeah, I've heard many people say this was this was one of their favorite, favorite conferences last year. And then on top of that, when we look at um, it is – in January, and it is in Vegas. So if you live in the Midwest or the Northeast, even with even with the extreme weather, we're not going to have a warm winter. <laughs> so <laughs> well, it was, it a- <laughs> was kind of cold because it is. It's at the end of January, beginning of February. I think it's like it's right Florida on that. Cold. You know, it's, it's Florida cold only. Blythe. <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> cold those- <laughs> for me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Yeah, you were in a you had to wear a fleece or something. It's brutal, huh? Well, it is a very you know as someone who has gone to a handful of bachelorette parties in Vegas, it was very challenging to pack for winter versus summer because all the pools are closed. Um, you're not, you know, that's walking only this- Florida winter. <laughs> that is that is like fall or spring for the rest of us. <laughs> 
so, so it, anyway. it took a little getting used to but you don't have you know it's the dry heat that they say you know it's not the yes. humidity so that that's a blessing for all the people worried about their hair right well I, yeah i'm worried about keeping my hair for god's <laughs> sakes anyway i'm looking forward to seeing you and everybody Likewise. else at manifest it's it's gonna be a great time and Blythe, thank you so much for taking the time i know we went way over but uh i I really enjoy talking to you. You've got great insights on this on this business and how we should be going about connecting those digital dots. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And if anybody- We have to do it more often. Yes. That's, that's it's last time was 2019. So we have to have a regular, uh, maybe like a once a year cadence. <laughs> we'll do it again before Manifest in January. Heck yeah. And then maybe it, something in person while we're, while we're at Manifest. We're just out here planning our content plan. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I look forward to seeing you and everybody else out at Manifest and whatever else other conferences coming up. I know uh, while, while we're talking about it, you should probably also mention uh, Freight Waves has got a yes. conference coming up. F3, that, that's another really, I am super pumped to see what Freight Waves is going to do because this is a concept that they really wanted to do a year ago. That's the Festival of... The, the Festival of Freight. So essentially what they're, they're doing it in Chattanooga, how that Tennessee. F3? How is that F3? Festival of Future Freight. of Freight Festival. There and, you go. Future so, Freight Festival. From what I understand, they're trying to take, uh, you know, sort of the concept of like a South by Southwest, but make it freight. And they're doing it in the beautiful city of Chattanooga. I, I have never been to Chattanooga, but I am I a have. really big fan. On the way to Florida, everybody who drives from Michigan, you got to stop in Chattanooga. <laughs> well, they also have, you know, I'm a really big fan of like their, you know, their owned internet, their owned, you know, giga ISP, you know, internet service provider. I, I love the fact that they have a city-owned municipality for just their internet service, which draws a lot of businesses there. So that to me, being in Chattanooga is a, a city that I've wanted to visit and knowing that they're gonna they're taking a South by Southwest approach and making it a, a festival over a few days ship. long. They're blocking off a couple different, you know, streets in order to make it, you know, really interactive, sort of walkable. So I'm I'm really pumped about that. And plus I get to see all my, you know, my coworkers again too. So that's gonna be super fun. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Well, Blythe, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Likewise. Th thank you so much for having me. Yep. My pleasure. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.